0: And welcome to episode number 116 of the Savvy Social Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping passion-led entrepreneurs and business owners just like you learn how to use social media as a tool to grow your business. I'm your host, Andrea Jones, and I'm fiercely committed to helping you understand both the how and the why of social media marketing so that you can create connection, build community, and make your difference in the world. Now this show is brought to you by Fan Booster by Traject, which is the world's most complete social media management tool. And it's my tool of choice when it comes to things like scheduling, managing, and especially reporting on social media. Try them out for yourself for free by clicking the link in my show notes. Today's guest is Matt Johnson. Matt is a marketing agency founder, podcaster, and musician. He runs a podcast launch and production agency in San Diego, and has an international team that helps business coaches, consultants, and thought leaders use done-for-you podcasting to attract an audience, build influence, and become micro-famous. And we talk all about being micro-famous in this episode. Matt's also the Author of the book called Micro Famous, and he hosts his podcast called Micro Famous as well. And so in this episode, we talk all about finding your niche and creating impact with the small audience and really Matt's approach to focusing on one social media channel, which you guys know I love. And then we also broached this idea of no new content, which I mentioned last week is something that we're developing as a framework to apply to our clients, and we're going to teach it in the school next year as well. Now, speaking of the Savvy Social School, we have a lot coming up. I'm actually clicking on over to my calendar right now because there's a lot going on in the school in October and it's going to be so much fun. So for those of you who participated in the 100 follower challenge, we actually have a bonus coaching call with Lana Hernandez, who is our now resident mindset coach, I guess. Uh, we're talking all about confidence and showing up on social media and how do you get over the hump if you feel like you're not good enough or you feel like you don't have anything to say or you're afraid of backlash from the community, which is a huge issue right now. Uh, so if you're in the school, join us for that on, uh, on September 29th at 4 p.m. on Zoom And then also in October, we are starting our content creation hours. They're going to be every Friday at 2 o'clock Eastern Time. We're going to get together and co-work together. We've tested this over the last year and saw a lot of great results during our 100 follower challenge. And so we're going to work together on creating social media content, which sometimes, you know, you kind of feel like you're getting stuck, you know? So it's good to have that level of support. My team and I will be on the call as well to give you feedback on your content as you're working on it, which is fun. And then super fun in October, I am hosting a class for local businesses. So inside of the school, we have, of course, our pre-recorded courses and training material, uh, but then we have live workshops. And so we're going to do a live workshop all about social media for local business. So if you're a local business and you rely on people in your local area in order to get customers and clients, this class is for you, okay? It's highly requested. I taught it before two years ago. So we're bringing it back, refreshing it for um, the current days and also talking a lot about how to navigate this whole global pandemic that we're going through. Of course, in addition to our co-working sessions and our live classes, show up anytime for our Ask the Expert series or ask your questions in the Facebook group. We are happy to support you there. You can find out more about the Savvy Social School by going to SavvySocialSchool.com. All right, let's dive into this interview with Matt Johnson. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show.
1: I'm so excited to be here.
0: Ah, so excited to talk to you about all of the work you're doing with your book, Microfamous, which we'll get to in a minute. But I want to start with your story at the beginning. How did you start your podcasting agency?
1: Okay, so a quick peek at what we do now. We're, we're a team of 12 kind of scattered all across the world. I run it remotely from here in San Diego. It takes me about you know three to four hours a week to run the agency. And what we do is completely done for you podcasting for coaches, consultants, and thought leaders. I got into that because I I needed something for myself. I started a podcast back in 2015 in the real estate space, had a blast doing it, but we were getting up to the point of running two to three times a week. And then I had also launched a couple of other podcasts in that space because I had ownership shares in a couple of different coaching companies. And I had to build a team behind me to kind of do all the stuff (laughs) so that I could just show up and talk and let other people do the rest of it behind the scenes. And when people found out about that, they kind of asked me, well, can I basically rent your team like when they're not working for you? And I'm like, well, sure, why not? So we started to do that. And then, of course, that broke and I had to turn it into an actual real agency. <laughs> so, so I got pulled into it. I initially was going to coach and consult in the real estate space. And I got pulled into being an agency owner because that's just where the demand was. That was where, that was where all my friends and clients needed the most help.
0: Yes. Oh, so familiar with that story. Painfully familiar with that story. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like all agency owners go through that at some point. We did the same thing with our agency as well. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about kind of how you help thought leaders really shine on their podcasts and make a difference in their space. Once you started with the podcasting agency, I'm wondering if some of the work that you're doing still is coaching and consulting for those individuals and really helping them craft a show that makes an impact. So can you talk a little bit about that process?
1: Yeah. So to me, when I look at how podcasts grow, I don't think it comes down to a lot of growth hacks and individual tactics i think most of the battles for whether a podcast grows or not is actually won or lost before the show ever hits itunes it's the strategy of who you're talking to and what you're saying and what is the idea of the show and who that appeals to that actually determines whether it grows because i'm sure you know this i think 65 percent of new podcast growth comes from word of mouth so like when you set aside word of mouth and you spend all of your time tinkering on the other things you're only spending time on the stuff that causes 30% of the podcast growth anyway. So you're already at a disadvantage. Uh, And I have a lot of people that come to me that want to start shows that that's their mentality. Like, hey, let's let's get it up. Let's just get something out there. I'll figure it out as we go along. And then I'll use these little flurries of activity along the way in marketing or social media to get the podcast to grow. And I'm like, nope, (laughs) stop. Stop everything. That's not going to work. Let's, let's go with what actually works because I noticed from running podcasts that I personally co-hosted and watching them have different levels of success, I figured out by experience what the difference is. The podcasts that win are the podcasts that are really, really well aligned with a business that has a very strong, clear, and compelling idea that appeals to a, a, a smaller group of the right people that have the money to pay for a service. And If you've got that, the podcasting part is actually a lot easier If you get the business part wrong, no podcast can make up for that.
0: Mm, So it's really starting at the foundation and the core of the business and then building the podcast from there. So let's say we have that. We have our mission. We have this niche group of people who's willing to pay us. And I know you talk a lot about the three stages of influence and, and how we can make that difference. So can you tell us a little bit how someone, once they know they can make a difference, how do they become known?
1: Well, so, and this is in the Microfamous book. It, it's, it's one of the key chapters, I think, that are the most helpful. So the three stages of influence are get seen, get noticed, and get known. So if you think about the people that you really respect and look up to, whether it's Gary Vee or maybe it's John Maxwell or Amy Porterfield, they've been in the game long enough focusing on one thing that you know them for that thing. Like when you think of leadership, if you're in that world at all, the first person you think of is John Maxwell. And then there's a whole bunch of other people who have something, some other word in front of leadership that they're known for, primal leadership or whatever. But when you think of leadership, you think of John Maxwell. When you think of marketing, you probably think of someone like Seth Godin. When you think of social media, you think of Gary Vee or Amy Porterfield and Marie Forleo. So there's an example there that we have to follow. However, the hardest thing to do is to come up with something like that where you can be, become known for something that appeals to millions and millions and millions of people. That's what made people like Tony Robbins so brilliant is they came up with an idea that had mainstream appeal. For the rest of us that we don't even need to have that kind of business in order to be happy, You know, we only need six or seven figures a year. That's actually not that hard if we go after the right people. And so it's actually a lot easier to come up with an idea that appeals to a much more focused group of people rather than trying to be the next Gary Vee or Oprah, like you mentioned before we started recording. For most people, it's the wrong goal, but we've been, we've been convinced that it's the right goal to, to try to go out there and be the next Oprah because, well, it worked for her. Well, that's true, but I don't think Oprah could sit down and explain to you why Oprah took off. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm saying? I don't true. think like you can you can justify that it's hard work and all this stuff. But look, everybody works hard. There's a thousand other non-Oprahs out there who also worked really hard, who were also on TV in the 80s, who also got a talk show and they didn't take off. So there's only one Oprah. But there can be a thousand mm-hmm. other people who have really amazing businesses that they love to run because they're known for something more niche. And mm-hmm. to me that's the goal. That, that's what it, that's what it means to be microfamous.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think it's it's so important because you can still get to that mainstream level, but starting off with the micro famous concept is kind of like a stepping stone to get there if yes. that is your goal. And I love that you touched on the happiness as well. And maybe you could talk a little bit more about how you've done that in your own business, the balance between doing everything and becoming as big as possible and being happy with the work that you're producing.
1: Well, I I am an introvert by nature. And so somebody asked me a really good question one time and she asked me, how many people do you want in your life? Like on a day-to-day basis. I'm like, wow, Mm. that's a, that is a good question. I'm like, honestly, probably not more than seven that have regular daily access to me. Like that's kind of an introvert thing. If you're an extrovert, you might your number might be 20 or 30 or whatever. But if you're, if you're the type of person that is much happier when you have a smaller group of people around you, that's going to affect the type of business that you build. And for me, I've been able to build a business where I have a couple of key team members that I communicate with. And then I've got a, a small group of high-end affluent clients. None of them pay you know, they don't pay wildly different rates. I don't have huge clients and small clients. I have clients that are all in relatively the same price range. And so nobody has like this exclusive claim over my life. I don't worry about losing any one of them in particular. I love all of them, but I don't worry about losing any one of them. And so to me, that gives me the freedom to live my life, build the business the the way that I want to. I have an incredible amount of security you know if this episode if you're listening to this when this comes out in September we're recording this in May of 2020 when the world has effectively lost its mind and and people are pulling back on marketing budgets i didn't i had one client out of all my clients pull back and we cut her fees and her service in half everybody else stayed the course and we signed up new clients along the way like my my business is bigger now than it was before the corona apocalypse but there, but there, there's a reason for that, and it's not just that I'm awesome or anything like that, and it's not just that even that the clients that we pursue are awesome. I talk about this in the book too. If you like, every niche breaks down into two groups of people. There's the few, and then there's the many, right? If you go after the many, the mainstream, then you have to offer them probably something low cost, and you're going to need a lot of them, and they're going to come and go, right? Because they. They're, they're not the ones that are the most disciplined. They're not the ones that are going to put that information into action right away and get results. But there is a group of people who will. That's what I would call the few. Those are the early adopters. They're the ones that are the, the high-end affluent part of the market. They're the ones that have the money to spend. They have the money to spend because they probably are disciplined in business enough that they put stuff into action and they get results, right? So guess what? It's not just that they have the money to burn is that when they spend the money, they actually work on something until it gets to work. So that was one of the the interesting things that I learned coming out of my old agency was don't go after the mainstream. Find one thing that you can offer to the highest end of the market, go directly to them, work with them until you make it work, and then package it and go start selling it to other people. And that worked really well. And I wish I would have known, I wish other people would have known that same thing because I effectively had a mentor that slapped me upside the head and told me that. And (laughs) uh, (laughs) metaphorically, of course, but I think a lot of us would be better off doing that rather than going and trying to build a mainstream audience and sell something low cost to them because that's a very, very difficult road because that's where all the competition is right now.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I hope you guys are taking notes and you're listening to this because a lot of you are in this space right now where you're a small business owner, you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to make a difference within your circle, but you're trying to go too generic and too broad. You've got to niche niche it down into something specific so that you can figure out what works and then you can grow from there. Mm-hmm. So I want to get a little bit granular and talk about that. I always say niche and niche at the same time because I'm never sure what it is.
1: Uh, well, you're but, in Canada, so I think it has to be niche. Yeah. I have a friend in Montreal. He just can't say the word niche to save his life. He just can't bring himself to do it.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. I'll say both. I'll keep saying both. Um, <laughs> but let's say, let's say we're trying to reach that specific group of people. And yeah. I keep hearing rumors that I'm personally combating organic reach is dead or it's dropping. And you, you, know, you have to spend... X amount of dollars on paid advertising to get anywhere. So tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about how someone you know, coming into this, this space can actually reach their people.
1: Well, and, and if you go Google Facebook organic reach and you do an image search, it's basically a very angry set of graphs that all go down. It's like the, the picture is not pretty. I think it is, it is true to an extent that both Facebook and Instagram have figured out the formula, which is they're going to let you reach a lot of people for free and get a taste of that. And then they're going to start driving down your organic reach until the point where you reach between 1% to 10% of them with a post. And if you don't pay to boost it, you've got an issue. Unless you're really good at creating engaging content, and not everybody is. That is a skill that takes time, and that's part of why people should get into your world to learn how to do that. And that's that's a way to get past that barrier of only reaching 10% of your followers, right? You've got to create stuff that gets actual engagement, that gets people to share it. But setting that aside for a moment, to me, like, like especially if, if, you're, if you're like me and you're more on the introverted side or you just like your freedom and you don't want to spend all of your time every day glued to your phone creating new content for seven different social platforms, which I don't want to do. What I found just by accident from being in the podcasting world is that, that there's this whole kind of underground culture of people being guests on each other's shows and meeting other influential people and then taking bits and pieces of that podcast content and using that for social media. Right. So there's like a to me, it's like a shortcut way to come up with new stuff. So rather than me waking up every day going, what do I post today to get more eyeballs and more clients? I'm asking myself what podcast interviews where I was a guest come out this week and next week. How am I leveraging those? How am I sharing my own podcast interviews with my guests in a way that gets engagement? How am I pulling out clips? or quote images, or different bits and pieces of those podcast interviews. So that's that's how I look at social media. I look at it more of through the lens of relationships, and pod, getting interviewed on podcasts helps me build relationships with really amazing, influential people that all have their own audience. And then I grab bits and pieces of that content, and that's more of what I share on social media rather than creating something from scratch every day. So I think if we focus there, it gives you a lot of freedom, and it frees up time that you can spend doing other things like actually growing the business and delivering amazing service so you can get referrals.
0: Oh, yes. We're all about that over here. So I'm glad that you said that. And we've been trying to name it internally, but right now it's called no new content. So the strategy, (laughs) we're not posting new things to social media. You've got so much content. You've got podcasts, YouTube videos, blogs, places you've been guests gigs that you've spoken at you have all of this amazing content even things like you know taking your book you have so much content in there you don't actually have to create something brand new for social it's just yeah. figuring out how you can amplify what you've already created and i love the approach for guesting as well which is something that we've kind of dipped our toe into a little bit with some of our clients and mm-hmm. taking the podcast that they've been featured as guests on and remixing that for social media taking yeah. clips from that brilliant strategy. And I think it's almost like a little bit of a relief, a little bit of a weight lifted. You yeah. mentioned earlier, someone like Gary Vee, who's producing a ton of content, even he does the same strategy where <laughs> a lot of his content on social is remixed from other places, which is great. Yeah.
1: yeah. And by the way, Gary V has 19 people on his personal brand content team, because one of my I buddies brought him in to speak. And so we got a chance to go hang out in Gary V's offices in New York City. This is like last year or whatever. 19 people, Milling around, buzz busy, busy bees, all taking bits and pieces of Gary's content, which is usually a podcast, or like you mentioned, a speaking gig. And they're pulling bits and pieces out of that. And for the most part, that's and but then here's the key. This is what makes Gary V's like approach work. It's not just that he's blasting it out there in sheer volume, and like in both loudness and frequency, right? It's the fact that he actually shows up and engages. You know, like if you ever, ever, ever seen his PowerPoint where he talks about like when they post stuff, like they post stuff at specific times, not because they think that's when it gets the most engagement, but because that's when he shows up and sets aside time to actually talk to his audience. So it's like I'm sure you run into this a lot, where you have clients that go like, "Hey, can you throw this stuff on uh, on Instagram?" And you're like, "Well, are you active on Instagram? No, 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 no. I'm not really, I'm not really there. But can you throw all my content there? And I'm like, no." It's not, that's not going to grow you an audience. The days of that growing an audience have, have come and gone. Like that strategy is old and dead. If you're not going to be engaged somewhere, you might as well not show up there with content.
0: Absolutely. You're just kind of like throwing it out there randomly hoping that it sticks.
1: Yeah. Um, and then you wonder what's wrong with you.
0: Yeah. Because nobody's like. it. Which by the way, nothing,
1: <laughs> nothing, nothing's wrong with you. But if you don't show up and engage, that's what's wrong.
0: Yes, totally agree. And as a fellow introvert, I struggle with this sometimes and I create my own little systems for it. So I'm curious, from your perspective, when you're doing running your own social media channels or even the channels for your agency, how do you approach kind of that nurturing of your of your audience and and growing your audience on social?
1: Well, two things. So, the way, the primary way that I grow the audience is through appearances like this on podcasts. The way that I nurture that, and I, like I, I look at my own podcast as an incubator for ideal clients. So, I really focus on when I'm doing guest appearances and when I'm doing especially solo episodes of my own show, I, I want to focus on very, very specific things that reinforce my point of view, my belief system about the world. Right, And it usually boils down to four or five key beliefs, what I would call buying beliefs. Right, What are the things that people need to agree with me on in order for them to qualify as an ideal client? So those are the things that I tend to hit over and over again. Right, If someone doesn't agree with me that micro-famous is a good thing, they are automatically not an ideal client. Right? Now, there's some other things that go along with that. I would also like them to agree with me that there, there is no such thing as a giant flurry of marketing activity that can get you all the results today. There are some things that are only built by consistent action over time. Why? Because I want people with a long-term mindset. So when I go on podcasts or I talk on social media and on my own show, I, I hit those same beliefs over and over and over and over again. And as far as the mechanical stuff, for the most part, I'm active on Facebook. Because that's where my audience is and that's where I'm comfortable. I've been there for 10 plus years, which, you know, feel free to go back into the photos. You'll find some very disturbing stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I've been there long enough that that's my comfort zone, right? I'm not comfortable on Twitter. I have an Instagram presence that's more personal. So for work, I'm in one place. And what I don't do is I, I don't get distracted by all the new platforms and then split my existing time and attention into two and three different places. I continue to focus all of my attention for business onto Facebook, right? So that way I don't get... Like, I think people way, way overestimate how much time, energy, and bandwidth they have. And we end up splitting it in seven different places. And when we could be focusing on the one place, where we'll actually be engaged because we talked about that, just that like that's the key.
0: Yes, I'm, I'm doing that right now with some of our students who are like, oh, should I be on TikTok? I'm like, no, don't worry about it right now. We can talk about it later. Like, let's focus. So tell me a little bit about your approach to Facebook, whether you have your team helping you creating content, you're creating content. What does that process look like from taking things like your podcast episodes that you've been guests on and even your own show and Mm -hmm. turning that into content for Facebook?
1: So we do a mix of both. I I have my staff involved in posting things like new podcast episodes, new guest appearances that just got released on other people's podcasts. And you know, some, sometimes I'll do book excerpts and, and some things like that. Those are practical things that you can hand off to a virtual assistant. And then there are some things that only I can do. And a lot of times those are Facebook Lives where I'm piggybacking off of something I talked about on a podcast and I'm doing a live about it or really interesting, engaging posts into my Facebook group. That's something that I really have. That's really tough to hand off. I think it like you've got an audience of of social media managers and virtual assistants that might be helping their clients do things like that. And if there's one thing I could say to them, it's that there are certain things you you can do, and there's certain things that only your client, the expert, can do, right? They have to equip you with certain things, and there's some things that only they're going to be able to do, and you can help them brainstorm. But then they're going to have to go and do it. So don't don't allow, like if you're a social media manager and you're working for someone, just because they have amazing energy and good intellectual capital and all this stuff, and they're a thought leader, they could be a big name, small name, whatever. There are certain things that only they can do. And don't allow them to put that onto you. As the mm-hmm. social media manager, because there's only there's only certain things that you can do for them.
0: Yes, I love that. I feel like I'm just going to take that clip and like give it to some of my clients too, because <laughs> I think that that's helpful. You know, when you're when you're talking about this thought leadership type content, it does have to come from you. So, what's your process for creating that content? Do you do you sit down and come up with several ideas at once, or are you more of like an inspired type that once you get it, that's when you post it?
1: No, I try to not be that at all because that sounds horribly, <laughs> that sounds like a, a, a recipe for waking up very early in the morning, which I don't want to do. Here's how I do it. Everything for me comes back to the point of view and those few key beliefs that I want to hit over and over again. And I want to hit those over and over again from a bunch of different angles, if that makes sense. So I think one of the things that uh, a lot of people miss if they're building their own business, but especially a lot of social media managers and VAs get put in an awkward position, which is they're responsible for creating content, but there's no actual strategic direction. They don't really know where they're supposed to be leading people. They don't really know what opinions they're supposed to be sharing that will actually move the needle and get people to agree you know, with that belief system. So to me, it all comes back to beliefs. And then from there, you're looking for ways to just hit those beliefs over and over and over again from a bunch of different angles. That's why I like going on podcasts because it gives us a chance to have an authentic conversation. And then somebody else could pull a clip out of that. They don't have to create something from scratch. They're taking something that was conversational and in the flow and in the moment that has all the energy and the content that I want, and they're able to just grab it and turn it into something that's shareable. And then I can supplement that if I want by doing live trainings and things like that on top of it. But we, we plan out our trainings for the most part in the Facebook group, you know, a couple of weeks ahead of time. I'm brain, brainstorming that stuff with my staff. Every week I'm sitting down with my main marketing person and we're talking through ideas for creating content to leverage what we're doing. But it's never from the idea of creating it from scratch. It's almost always from the idea of leveraging what we have. Because I love that idea of no new content. You know, I, I have plenty. I have a ton and I continue to create more with the podcast. But yeah. I could stop and just that. start pulling out clips, you know, and, and have a year's worth of content.
0: Yeah, you give yourself a, a chance to take a break almost too because you've created so much. Yeah, exactly. So if you had to give advice to someone who's just coming into this, let's say they are a thought leader, they're starting their podcast, they're starting to put their stuff out on social media. What's, what's a piece of advice that you'd give them, maybe something that you've learned along the way that could really help keep them going, that can really help motivate them to stay the course?
1: I think the hardest thing for most people to do is to stay focused. And I think a lot of times it comes down to a confidence issue. So one of my favorite authors said that there's you know, there is a small percentage of people in the world that have this kind of unjustified level of confidence in themselves simply because they're awesome. And they just, they just have that confidence. I'm not one of those people. Most of us aren't one of those people, right? So one of the things that was the most helpful for me to learn along the way was that confidence can be built by just continuing to get into action and doing things that are valuable for other people. And then when other people go, holy cow, that was awesomely valuable. It boosts your confidence without you focusing on boosting your confidence. Right? So if you focus more outside of yourself, right? you take the focus off of you and stepping into your power and getting aligned and all this, all this stuff that we hear about, if you take the focus off of yourself and you put it on the people that you're serving and you let them tell you when you're awesome because you got them results, that's going to naturally boost your confidence. It's going to naturally lead you in the direction of things that people will pay you to do. And if you come up with something that's really valuable to somebody else, it actually doesn't matter whether you feel confident anymore. Because people pull it out of you. Like it sounds like it's it's happened to both of us. Neither one of us intended to be an agency owner. People pulled it out of us because that's what they demanded that we do. And that's the, to me, that's the best business to be in is the one that people are asking you to start.
0: Oh, that is so good. Thank you, Matt, for the knowledge that you dropped in this particular podcast episode. You guys may have to like, Come back and listen to this again every time you get stuck in a rut. But for those of people who are listening and they're like, Matt, we want to be connected with you, how do they find you online?
1: So there's one easy place to find all of my stuff. That's getmicrofamous.com because you can join the Facebook group community. You can listen to the podcast and all the links out from there. And then if you want to get the book, microfamousbook.com, it's free plus shipping. So I cover the cost of the book if you cover the cost of the shipping and let's get it into people's hands.
0: Fantastic. And I'll put the links to those two things in the show notes for this podcast episode. Thank you again, Matt, for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. That was our interview with Matt Johnson. Definitely check out his links in the show notes. So if you like podcasts, check out the Micro Famous podcast and also check out his freebie at microfamousbook.com. Next week, we have Joe Sanek on the show. Joe and I actually met at a podcasting conference, which was like the last thing that happened before the pandemic. So, um... Joe and I talk all about social media and kind of how he's built his business to be mobile. Um, And then also we talk about how he really niched down into working with uh, practitioners. And so we'll talk about his strategies in that episode next week. Before you go, make sure you rate, subscribe, and review to the show. Really helps us get in front of new audiences. And if there's someone who would really enjoy this episode, feel free to share it with them. All right. That's all for today. I'll see you guys next week. Bye for now.